doing a whole series on knowing, knowing. This is something I was asking God about. What do you want us to know? What are the fundamental things you want us to know? And when I say knowing, knowing isn't just about knowledge, but it's about knowledge and experience. In fact, the original word knowledge in the, in the Old Testament, even when you, in the Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it's actually something that you experience. See, many of you might know about Scotland because you've seen pictures and you've heard about it and, uh, and you've, you've heard me talk about it, etc. But if you've not actually been there, you don't entirely know it. You have to experience it in order to be able to say that you know it. And so there are four things that we are covering this month. And last week we did the first one, which is to know God. And these are the four fundamental things that we really want for you, that we want you to embrace and discover in your life, to know God, to know freedom, to know your purpose, and to know the community of Christ. We believe that these are fundamentally probably the building blocks for the rest of your life, for your family, for your future generations, that having these things in place truly put us into a position, not only with a relationship with God, but put us in the position where we're able to become everything that God has called us to be, because he's designed us for a particular purpose. In fact, when Paul is writing to the Ephesians, he says it exactly in these two paragraphs here. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Number one, you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. What, what does that mean? And when your heart is enlightened, that means it's opened up. That means that you're seeing all things clearly. You know truth uh, from falsehood. Your, your heart is free in a sense, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope of which he has called you to. That's your calling. What's your design? God has made you very specifically to act a certain way, to be a certain way. That's your personality. We're looking, many of us are looking to try and feel like we're one in a million. I've got news for you. You're not one in a million. You're one of a kind. There's no one else like you. And God has designed you for a great purpose. And when we discover what God has, has called us to and, and what he has made us for, we're starting to acknowledge the things that he has put in us that are special. And once we start acknowledging they're special, then we go, okay, God, what do you want me to do with those things? That's our calling. In order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incompatible great power for us to, who believe. So you can see the four things that are, that are actually there. Um, they're, they're very clear. It's about to know God, to know freedom, to know your calling, and to know the community of Jesus Christ because that is the bride of Christ. So today, what we're going to do, is we're going to look at the three, sorry, the, the second thing that is on that list, which is to know freedom. Now, now, let me just give you a little caveat before we dive into this, right? Because we're not jumping into the shallow end of the pool here, right? I'm kicking you off the deep end, and I'm going swim, right? It sounds very cruel, but maybe if you, you feel like you're, you're out of your depth and you don't know where you're going, just stick with me, and hopefully, hopefully, we'll all pull together at the end. But there are some fundamental things that I want to cover first in our understanding of what freedom is and where in our lives that we actually need freedom, and I might lose you here and there, but stick with me. We'll bring this hopefully all back together again. Okay, knowing freedom is important to know freedom in what parts of our lives? Well, we as humans are made up of three parts. The first one is our mind. Our mind says, our, I think. And then the second part is our body. And that basically says, I feel. 
I feel physically, and I feel emotionally. And then the last one, of course, is your soul. That is your will. That's your choice. That's your ego. So the three things that are there are actually your intellect, your emotions, and your ego. I think, I feel, and I will. So let me look at these one by one. The first one, of course, is in your mind. In your mind. When you're thinking about freedom in your mind, freedom in your mind is the ability to think the right thoughts, to think the thoughts of blessing, godly thoughts, not thoughts that are torturous thoughts, but righteous thoughts in a sense. And if we look at 2 Timothy 1.7, it says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of, uh, what does it say? Sound mind. Now that's all about a thing that I call discipline. It's about retraining our mind, to have a sound mind, to think clearly. Now, why is it that I say discipline? Because the actual original Greek words that are there, we can interpret it as sound mind, but in, in fact, in some of the translations in your Bibles, like the King James Version or other different versions that you might read, it actually doesn't say sound mind, it says self-discipline, which is interesting that it has one word that means sound mind and self-discipline. And when this self-discipline is not about the right actions that you do, this is about self-discipline of your mind, that you're choosing the right thoughts. In fact, Jesus talks a lot about this, that, that we have to choose what we're going to believe. We're choosing it. Now, now what type of curse or what type of uh, 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 bondage would we have in our mind that we need freedom for? Well, simply, it would be this. It would be stinking thinking, Right? It's basically when you are thinking in patterns that destroy you or make you do actions that you really shouldn't be doing. For instance, it's very common that we inherit our thinking from our parents. If you grew up in a, in a culture of poverty, if you grew up with very little in your life, then you're more likely to repeat that process and live the exact same life that your parents actually lived as well. You could have actually lived in, you could have been raised up by a father who's very angry and you learn his behaviors and you have his exact same thoughts as well. It's a lot to do with culture. And um, I, I was speaking with a young guy a while ago, and, uh, and I said, uh, what is it you want to have for yourself? What do, you, what do you want? What do you dream of? And he's like, I would love to be able to provide for my family and own my own home and not have to worry about paying bills. And, and then that way, I would probably be free to be able to serve God. And I said, then what, I said, then, then what is the next step for you? What do you think you should do? And I said, well, what about your company? Can you start working to move up the, the, the ladder? And he's like, yeah, that's not really for me. And I said, why is that not for you? And he's like, well, it's just, you know, it's not my thing. And I said, why would you say it's not your thing? How do you know it's not your thing? And he's like, well, I don't have the education for that. I don't have the, the qualifications. I said, then go get qualifications. Like, I don't know if I want to do that. Whoa, 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 whoa. You're making a choice right now. Where does that come from? Did your dad, was he with the type of person who climbed up the ladder and worked hard? And like, nah, he just really settled for whatever he had. He didn't even try and work hard or anything. I'm like, okay, you've inherited a mindset from your parents and you need to discipline those thoughts and say, no, my father in heaven says he wants me to be blessed. He wants me to walk in honor. He wants me to work hard. Working hard is a blessing in my life. And so it's important for us to understand that discipline is for our mind. We have to take that discipline and put it towards the thoughts that would be old thoughts, that would be broken thoughts. Okay, here's the second one. Mind, body, and soul. We're going to look at body now. Body says, I feel. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, we 
today, once a month, we have the healing team actually just next door. And if you have a sickness in your body or, 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 or in your heart or something, you want them to pray for you, you can go next door and, and sit with them and they'll just actually pray for you. They're, they're a wonderful team of people. And then it goes on, it says, and the, what does that word say? Prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. Now, if they have sinned, they will also be forgiven. Freedom comes from healing. That's a combination of prayer and forgiveness. How, how does this work? Okay, so when it comes to your heart, your heart is often connected to the people that you love. But the problem is, is when the people that you love have hurt you or have rejected you, you often have this bondage in your heart that stops you from being able to believe in yourself or being able to receive from other people or even being able to love other people in your life. And this is something that I've found really is, 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 is very deep in people's hearts when they, when they have gone through rejection in their life and they, and they don't know how to receive what's good in their life. They don't know how to receive love from other people. Now, it could be maybe your father left you and you felt abandoned when you're a child, or maybe when you were growing up, your mother was very depressed and you never saw joy in your household. Maybe it's that's, that's how you've abused, uh, sorry, you've, you've absorbed abuse into your life. Well, the way to actually deal with those things in your heart is the number one is you actually have to forgive those that actually hurt you. So it's not a discipline, I just need to stop feeling this way. You can't tell yourself how to feel. That is not something you can legislate. You can't legislate your heart. You have to ask for forgiveness for any bitterness you might have towards your parents and then say to God, Father, I'm actually gonna forgive them for what they've done for me. Because listen, he said that we can't receive forgiveness ourselves unless we give forgiveness first. And so forgiveness is very important. But even with that, it's important that we receive prayer, that prayer, people can pray for us and say, Father, we ask that you would heal this person's heart because our hearts do affect our bodies. Our bodies, people's stomachs are, you know, have problems with their stomachs, they have problems with their sleep, they have problems with, with their bodies, and it's all usually affected or uh, uh, infected or even connected is the word I'm trying to use. It's connected to the state of their heart, and God wants to bring freedom in our bodies. All right, here's the third thing, the soul. The mind, the body, and the soul. The last one here is the soul. That is, I will. That's where your ego resides. In Matthew 16, verse 24 to 26, it says this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must firstly deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. So this is repentance. Freedom comes from repentance when it's a condition of your soul. Repentance is when you say, I'm not going to go my way, but I'm going to go your way. I'm going to go God's way. I'm not going to demand that I should do things myself. Verse 25, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? The original word for life and soul is the exact same word. That's our soul. When it, so when it says the word life in the, in the New Testament, it's usually referring to our soul, which is our will. So we could say this, for whoever wants to save their soul or their will will lose it. But whoever loses their will for me will find it. 
That's giving in to Christ. What is an example of that? Well, Adam and Eve is probably the best example of that. In the Old Testament, they didn't have problems with their bodies. They didn't have problems with their emotions. They didn't have problems with their mind whatsoever. Now, I know that all, all these things are very woven together for us, but for Adam and Eve, it wasn't an issue. The only issue they had in their life was their will, what they chose to do. Were they gonna go God's way or were they gonna go their way? You see, the result of having freedom in your mind, your body, and soul is that when you are free, you can become everything that God has designed you to be. The enemy wants to destroy our relationship with God, our relationship with each other, and our relationship with our purpose, what we're designed to be. And if you become a useless tool, then you're not getting used. You feel useless when you're not being used by God for greater things. Galatians 5.1 says this, it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Right, he didn't just set us free and then went, well, we'll just leave you as you are. He set us free so that we could live in freedom. That's the ultimate thing that should come to us after we discover what the Christ has done for us. Okay, so let's see how Jesus was himself assaulted on these three fronts. Why is this important? Because if you remember last week, we talked about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. The Son shows us how to behave. He shows us how to live because he was human as well as God. And so he is our best example of how to respond when we are faced with issues in our mind, our body, and our soul. And we're going to look at Luke chapter 4. We're going to read this little story. And you remember when uh, and last week when we talked about Luke in chapter 3, and he was baptized, and the father spoke and said, this is my son whom I love, and him I am well pleased. And the three elements that we, we talked about last week, well, right after that, he was driven by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. He fasted for 40 days. So here it is. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. So he had already done the fasting, and then he was about to be tackled, assaulted, uh, tempted, whatever you want to say, trialed by the enemy. So verse 3, it says, the devil said to him, If you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Where do you think the enemy was tackling him on? His body, right? His body, because he was hungry. He was like, I'm so flipping hungry. I just need some barbecue right now. Just give me some, just give me some Four Rivers barbecue. He could feel his body was probably screaming at him and he was hungry. So the devil said, sure, well, let me just tempt him in his body. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to them, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want. If you worship me, it will be all yours. It'll be all yours. What do you think this one is? This one is the will. It's his soul. Now, why is this? Because Jesus had a purpose when he came. He was tasked to do something. And the enemy didn't say, I'm going to fight you on this. You're not getting to take all these worlds. You're not getting all these people. You think you're going to take them back and put them in a relationship with the Father? No, he didn't say that. He said, listen, I'll give it to you. Just do this one thing. Just compromise with me. Don't go the hard way. Do it your way. God's way is the hard way. Do it your way. I'm, and I'm willing to help you. I'm here to help you get what it is that you want. That's the will. 
The enemy will often do this. He'll give us these fake things that will be replacement of a relationship with God. He'll give us the things that we want, which is maybe we, uh, position or prosperity. He gives us uh, great titles. He gives us great things that make us feel like we're in control and we've made it happen. And I'm a self-made man. You're a self-ish person. You are a soul-centered person. The fact is, Jesus did something great for us when he said, no, I'm not going to do that. And he said, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So here's the next one. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Now, this would seem like this is about the body. Throw yourself off and prove that God loves your body. He loves your emotions. He, he wants to give you healing and protection in your body. It's not. Because what the enemy did was he changed his tactics on Jesus. He didn't start speaking to his emotions. He started speaking to his thoughts. How did he do that? He did that by quoting what his dad had said and then turning it upside down. So he tackled his mind. He said, well, well your dad has said he's going to look after you. So just go ahead and prove it. Just go and do it. This is where I believe that this is one of the most heinous things that the enemy can do in our lives is where maybe some of us as children have been even abused when we were children and we were rejected even in such a way that your parents maybe abused you but they told you that it was okay or that it was right and that you should just shut up. Don't tell anybody that I touched you. Don't tell anyone that I've done this. And as a child, you trust this person. You feel like it's wrong but you know that, that they're the authority figure and that they're right and so you have this conflict within you and then as you get older, something of anger grows up inside you and says, no, that's wrong. And yet you can't defend yourself because you still feel stuck and frozen in those emotions from your childhood. And there's a conflict in your thoughts. This is the amazing power of the enemies. He knows how to trip us up. He knows how to put us in a position of, of confusion. And so we can't, grow our, 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 we can't grow our relationship with God because we don't know what to think about ourselves. Remember, it's, as we talked about last week, it's the Father that determines what we think about ourselves. And if your Father has given you thoughts that are not good, then you are in confusion. But our Heavenly Father, we are meant to leapfrog over our earthly fathers eventually, and our Heavenly Father tells us what He thinks about us. So how then, after all this stuff, did Jesus actually tackle this stuff? So let's just finish off this, this chapter. It says, Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Okay, so when Jesus was having this, this, this tackling on his mind, his body, and his soul, what did he do to try and defend himself against him? Well, there was two different ways that he did this. The first one was he used scripture, right? He said, verse four, Jesus answered, it is written. Then the second temptation, Jesus answered, it is written. The third thing, Jesus answered, he said, it is said. Now, when I look at this, um, one thing I want you to understand, I'm not just saying walk around life all the time, just go, oh no, it is written that uh, Jesus come to give us life and life to the full, right? You, know, you don't just come up with, with issues and then just start spouting off scripture and people sometimes do this. The best way I can, I can, I can try and explain this is this way. When I was about seven or eight years old, I was at... Um, 
I was at school, and I, of course, I'm a pastor's kid, so I'm already a nerd, right? So I'm at school, and I can't, do, I can't get to do the cool things, right? And, and, and uh, I remember uh, it was this Halloween time, and uh, Halloween's a pretty big thing in, in Scotland. I think it's way bigger in America, right? The volume of candy in America is amazing. And, 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 uh, and I remember my teacher saying, okay, tomorrow, children, is Halloween. I want you to all come tomorrow to be dressed as a witch, a goblin, or a ghost tomorrow. Everyone, come dressed in your best witch, best witch, best witch, best goblin, best ghoul. And I, and I put my hand up and I said, I said, miss, I'm not allowed to do that. And she said, and I vividly remember this, she said, Peter Brunton, you don't have an excuse and you're not allowed to just not do it whilst everyone else is doing it. You've got to do it just as much as anyone. So I want you to come dress as a witch, a goblin, or a ghoul. Now, I know my parents didn't celebrate Halloween. They were against Halloween. They weren't into that stuff. In America, I think it's much more commercialized. In Scotland, we used to, uh, you know, it, it was more than just uh, little kids going around just dressed up really cute, right? It was literally kids that would turn up and they would try and do a trick on you and they would throw eggs at you and stuff, you know. And, and of course, my parents always looked at, well, this is a spiritual thing and we don't want to get in a dabble in that. We don't want to get our kids into vandalism or bad things. And so I wasn't allowed to do it. And so I was telling them, that, Miss, I'm not allowed to do it. She said, you will do it. And something inside of me, and I, I can't say it's because God gave me great words or something. There's no wisdom that came from this seven-year-old, right? I just said this, then you'll need to speak to my dad. And it shut her down. Little cake hole closed. Right? And I'm like, dang, that was pretty cool. I should try that again sometime. Yeah, right? And then I'm looking at everyone, and of course, they're all like, you're not coming? Uh, you know, so now you feel inadequate. Okay, so anyway, I go home, and I tell my parents this, and my dad went, well, fine, you're just not going to school tomorrow. And I'm like, yes! <laughs> Woo! That's great with me. So what Jesus did here is he didn't say, well, the scriptures say this, right? And you can't even remember half the scriptures. What he said was this, he said, but my dad says this. And if, you, if, you, if you're telling me something different, maybe you should go speak to my dad about that. Did you notice that the devil didn't keep on trying to push those issues because he knew that Jesus didn't speak by his own authority. He didn't sign, make an argument. Well, I think this, and I think this is my opinion. He didn't do that. He goes, well, I, I'm just doing what my dad told me to do. If you want to speak to my dad about it, yeah, yeah, go ahead and speak to my dad. But I got nothing else I can say because I don't do the things by my own will. I'm doing them because my dad wants me to do this. He's telling us to think like your dad. What did your dad tell you to do in the scriptures? Then believe that. We talked about it last week, that he has come to give us acceptance and affection, and he's come to give us so much more. In Romans 12, 2, it says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Think like your dad. What does your dad think about you? What has he told you to believe? Has he told you to believe that you should be angry and bitter with your parents? No, he told you to forgive them. Then go about doing that. Go about making that happen. Choose to think your dad's thoughts. Here's the second thing that Jesus did. The first one was scripture, but the second thing was this. It says that he moved by the Spirit. In Luke 4, verse 1, it says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was, what does that word say? Led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Now, 
To be honest, I'm sure many of you did the discussions in the small groups, you know, during this week, and some of the questions that we had was, which part of the Godhead do you relate most with, Father, Son, or Holy Spirit? And then which one do you relate least with? And most of us, is probably the Spirit. And it's often very difficult to be able to walk with the Spirit, but that's something that we do need to grow in. So let me get a little nerdy again. I'm sorry, forgive me. We'll, We'll deep dive in, but we'll come up for air just in a second, right? There are two words in the Greek that speak the word, word, right? Word, word. What's up? Word, word, right? There's two words. One is logos and the other one is rhema. Now, what is logos? Logos is what you would call the complete wisdom of God, the complete counsel of God. And in Ephesians 6, verse 17, it says this, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. Remember, the Spirit, as we talked about last week, is the executor of God. He's the one who goes out and makes things happen. He is the executor of God. Take the helmet of the salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the, what does that word say? Word of God. Now, when you're going through scriptures and you're looking at the word, word in the New Testament, you're mostly reading the word logos, which is like John 1, 1, it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. So he's talking about Jesus, and Jesus is the fullness of God, etc. But that's the complete counsel of God. That's the fullness of God. But in this scripture, it's actually talking about what they call a rhema word. What is a rhema word? A rhema word is a tool that works for right now. It's the thing that is useful for you right now. Why is this important? Because I believe that sometimes it gets confusion, uh, confusing uh, walking in our faith when we don't know, should I do this or should I do that? God, I've got this issue, but should I pray about it or should I be boldness and walk into it? And when I go to Sunday morning, I get 10 different messages and I don't know which one I should use. This is why the Holy Spirit exists. He is there to walk us through the things that we need to walk through. And when I think about it, I think of it like as a toolbox. And I brought this toolbox up here. And I've got this little toolbox. And, and when, you're look, when, you've, when you've got a job to do, when you've got a challenge in front of you, what tools should you use? Well, you've got lots of different tools. You've got a a square, and that's really good when you need to square something off, right? And then you've got a flashlight, and if you're in the dark, you can use a flashlight to see where you're going. But if I'm in the if I'm in a situation and I don't I don't know what to do, and and I'm 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 trying to figure out there's a nail in a wall, and I should see if I can get that nail into the wall, right? I've got a bag of tools that Jesus has given me, and I'll use these tools. Now, should I use prayer here, or should I use uh, boldness, or should I use humility, or should I use this? And maybe, maybe what I'll do is I'll get that nail, and I'll try and stab at it, right? You might get a couple of centimeters of the nail moved into the wall, but after a while, you're going to get frustrated, I know what I should do. I'll turn it upside down. That's got a big, thick, knobby side of the screwdriver. And I'll just hammer at it. And then you keep missing. And then the drywall is just falling apart behind it, right? And you're just smashing at this thing. Don't break. I mean, you're smashing at this thing. Like, why is this not working? God is giving me prayer. Why is that not working, right? Why is this discipline not working, right? And it's because it often takes a knowledge to know what tool to use at the right time, which is why we use the hammer. The hammer is when you hammer a nail, right? And so the same is true when we're walking in the Holy Spirit trying to figure out what do we do in each situation. But even when you're using the hammer, we often need to know from the Spirit how to use the tool as well. 
So if I used a hammer like that and go, it's not going in, right? Who, who uses the hammer like this? Anyone want to confess, right? Anyone? And you go like this, it's like, why is that not working? It's so much work because the leverage is down here, right? And oftentimes when even you have the right tool, you need to know the right leverage in each situation. Do I speak now or do I not speak now? I'm having issues with my children. I'm having issues with my family. Do I speak now and tell them, well, this is the truth of Jesus Christ, right? And they go, ah, and scream back at you. Like, well, why didn't it work as much as I thought it was going to do, right? Because there is a time and a moment when you should speak. That's the moving of the Holy Spirit. So we're at this place, and I want to, I really want to try and bring this home. And I'm going to ask Mike Brown to come up right now. This is, this is important for us that as we're getting to know God, we're actually getting to know freedom in our life, knowing how to walk with God. And oftentimes, it's, it's learning how to be separated from the things that brought curses into our mind, our body, and our soul. And um, we've, been, we've, uh, we've been walking together for a long time, haven't we? And so why don't you tell people what's been happening in your life recently? All right. So... Some of you know this about me, but I am actually adopted, and for those who don't, now you do. Um, but it's been very encouraging to me to be a part of this church that champions adoption so well. But for me, as a child of adoption, I've always had a question of who I was, and I always had a sense that I never knew my full self. Um, so about five years ago, this all came to a head, and I was feeling a lot of rejection and offense on my life and doubting uh, my purpose and the purpose that God had laid out for me. So I went to Pastor Peter and I sought his advice, and he really just likes to get to the root of families to discover, so you can discover things about yourself. So the subject of my adoption naturally came up, and he encouraged me to just seek out my biological parents, not with a promise that I would ever find them, but that a promise that I would find something out about myself that I hadn't, hadn't dealt with. So I went to the adoption agency that my parents used to adopt me, and I had to pay a $120 fee for them to search out my biological mother with still, again, not a guarantee that she would, be, she would want to speak to me. But a few weeks later, she, I got word from the adoption agency that she did, in fact, would be interested in contacting me. So they gave me her email, and they gave her my email. And I reached out to her, and then a few months later, went by without any response. Um, and then one day she reached out to me in a letter explaining to me how I was with her in the hospital for two days and that she loved me and she had a name for me, Matthew, which is the gift of Yahweh. But she ultimately couldn't uh, take care of me because she was just a teenager. So that resolved in me a lot of rejection that I was having. It, it resolved in me to know that I've been loved since, since birth and from my infancy. And a few years went by where we communicated back and forth through email. But at the beginning of last year, 2018, she actually reached out to me wanting to set up a time to meet me. And at this point, uh, I didn't really have a desire or felt like I had the need to pursue it because I just got married and I was pursuing my career. So there was a lot of things that were new in my life that were fulfilling. And so I just sort of put that in the back of my mind and pushed it off saying, yes, we'll set up a time. Let me talk. Let me try and put it on the schedule, but never really committing to it. And it wasn't until about a few weeks ago when Pastor Peter was preaching Christmas sermon on reconciliation. And he talked about reaching and finding information out about his maternal grandfather 
that was affecting his family to this day, where I thought I just had no more excuse, that there was something out there for me to still uncover. So I was accountable to him, and I said, I'm going to set up a time with my biological mom to meet. And we set up a time for the following week at 6 p.m. on Saturday at a restaurant. And my wife came with me, and we were there at the restaurant ahead of time. And I could tell as soon as she walked in that that was my biological mother. And I stood up, and I gave her a hug. And she pulled away, but I held on tight to let her know that it was okay, that I was comfortable and committed to showing her that, that she didn't make a mistake. And as we sat down and talked and got to know one another, and throughout the meal, about halfway through the meal, I asked her, what has this process been like for you from adoption to now finally meeting? And she said, the time when she was pregnant with me was the hardest time of her life. She was a teenager, a senior in high school, and she had her outside forces telling her that she was not equipped to be a mother. And that every day since deciding to give me up for adoption, she's had guilt and shame. And I was able to tell her, despite all that, you made the right answer. You did, you did the right thing. And I was destined to be David and Sally Brown's son. And she was just so relieved by that. And she was so thankful that she needed to hear those words. And I guess she could only hear that truly from me. And after I told her that, she said, that's interesting you say that because I had a whole other family picked out for you. I had, I had this profile of this family that I thought would be good, and I ended up actually meeting them. And something in that meeting told me that this was not the family I can entrust with my baby boy. And she actually went to the hospital, induced for labor, not knowing who she was going to give her son to. And the adoption agency came and said, it's time to make a decision. We have this family picked out that you think would really like. And she reviewed the profile, and something in her said, yes, I want to give my son to this family. And that turned out to be my parents. And then God told me, don't you see that I've had you picked from the start, from before you were born. You were destined to be in this family. You were destined to meet Sean Roberts at 14 years old who became your brother, who would invite you to small group at Mark Matuzak's apartment where I would show, reveal myself to you and adopt you as my own. You need to know this, that God had predestined you for the life that you have right now. But he wants something more and greater for you. He wants freedom in every area of your life, just that he wanted it always for, for, for Mike. He always wanted it for him in his life too. And you have to know that God wants freedom in your life as well because that's the joy of working with a father that loves us, that we get to live in freedom. It was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Father, right now I just pray that you would start to reveal to us through the power of the Spirit, where we need freedom in our mind, where we need freedom in our body and in our emotions, where we need freedom in our will, oh God. That we don't know when to apply what tool to when and how and which and where and all that stuff, but we know that you've given us a Spirit that can, that can talk to us. The Holy Spirit talks to us. And we're not really good at talking to the Holy Spirit. 
just not good at listening or trusting or believing that stuff. And increase our faith, O oh Lord, as the disciples said. I pray right now in the name of Jesus that your faith would increase to see that God has called freedom into your life. And so in the name of Jesus, I want to speak that into your mind, into your body, and into your will. Freedom in the name of Jesus. Freedom in the name of Jesus. That Jesus has won our freedom through the cross that he died upon. Freedom now belongs to us. May you be free and free indeed. May you be free and free indeed and have life to the full and more abundantly in the name of Jesus. There is something that the Spirit wants to lead you away from. He wants to lead you to. He wants to free you from. There is so much more freedom that we have got to discover. Freedom in our mind, our body, and our soul. Holy Spirit, I pray you would speak to us right now as we are fasting, as we are receiving you, as we are, as we are walking along. We ask that you would start to speak to us more clearly than ever before. May God bless you. And may he keep you, and may he make his face shine upon you. And all God's people said, amen.